Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As you're well aware, Nathan Florence has been absolutely killing it in recent years. A self-made marketing machine, controlling his own brand and media, and churning out short and long-form content multiple times a week. Most importantly, he's performing at the highest level of surfing on the planet in the most consequential waves. For me, it was I leaned into that because that, to me, was a strength and something I showed promise in versus, like, small wave technical surfing. Like I just, it was just so, such a struggle and uphill battle and I just didn't put the time in, but I knew like as soon as I did something in higher consequence, my body reacted in a way my instincts were faster. I made things I didn't think I could make. And to me that was a strength and I was like, I'm gonna lean hard into a strength. It's that age old thing like talent and hard work And then you combine the two, like, I was like, okay, this is what I'm good at. And if I lean into this and work really hard at being good at what I already have a little advantage in, then I might be able to come become elite in it. And so that was part of like the decision of being a big wave guy. Our good buddy, Justin J just interviewed Nathan about all of it on his podcast, The Plug. Nathan's episode is available right now on whatever podcast app you are listening to this in. And you've probably seen Justin's photography work in the past. He made an incredible coffee table book a couple years ago, a 10-year compilation of his winters on the North Shore. It's called HI1K. And guess what? We're giving three of those books away this month to highlight Justin and just to say thanks to our loyal subscribers. So, Dylan Verberg, you just won yourself a copy of HI1K. Thank you for your longtime support and listenership. For everyone else, you can go grab a copy of the book at justinj.com and you can enjoy his chat with Nathan Florence right now on any podcast platform or on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Just search The Plug with Justin J. Enjoy. Is your best surfing still ahead of you? At the age of 42, it's something that I actually think about regularly. You've probably noticed that theme emerging in some of my questions with our guests. 
I think about surfing constantly and I watch it all of the time, but the most memorable waves in my life are all in my increasingly distant memory, getting further and further away. With the demands of adult responsibility, I've accepted that simply getting in the water is a blessing and that I should probably be grateful for it, even if the thrill of the potential best wave of my life is probably gone. But alas, one month ago, the swell of the decade blasted the west coast of North America, and wouldn't you believe it, the guy who got one of the best waves of the entire swell had also spent the previous two decades struggling with the exact same lethargy that I've been feeling. His name is Troy Eckert. He's eight years older than I am, and even though we had never met, he played a hugely influential role in my youth. And if not also in your youth, he certainly influenced the entire way that you have experienced surfing. So we'll explain how throughout this conversation, but let's start with the wave that he caught that ultimately led to us connecting and led to this podcast conversation. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Troy Ecker. It'll be long-winded, but I'm going to start just by reading you your own Instagram caption, if that's okay. Sure. Because <laughs> I think for the listeners, that'll be the perfect way to kind of tee this up. <clears throat> says, uh, Friday, January 6th, 2023 will go down as one of the most important days in my surfing history. Not because of the actual wave I got, but because of the symbolism behind it for me. Don't get me wrong. It was one of, if not the best ride I've ever had in Cali slash Baja, but it's because of the personal work that I've been diligently doing in recent times. I believe this experience was the culmination of the work converging into the exact space and time to be in that spot to catch this wave. On paper, many forces were against me. I just turned 50 in late December, and most of the guys out there were pros and half my age or less. Plus, there was 85-plus guys out. It was actually pretty slow, and everyone was super hungry. Going into the day, I made a clear intention to myself to, quote, let go of any attachment to any outcome and to enjoy the day for what it is, end quote. I feel that it was that intention that fueled the entire course of my day and led me to catching that wave. As surfers, it's really easy to look at what's going on as being negative, but in reality, it's just what's going on, i.e. the crowds, it's slow out here, the tide's too low, there's that hassler I don't like, etc. But in reality, it's the mind that's causing the suffering, not the situation. For one person, it's heaven. For another, it's hell. The key is to be okay whether you catch a wave or not. For me at this stage in my life, I'm doing my best to be aware, to see things as they are versus how I would like them to be. At the same time, I'm human and messy. We all are. Doing the work for me will go on until the day I check out. 
and it can really be hard at times, but man, it's so worth it. I feel it's so important to challenge the way we view the world and to ask ourselves, are we adding to the peace or are we creating pollution? Self-turmoil always leads to external turmoil. This wave has allowed me to reconnect with so many old friends and make new ones, which is priceless. It made me realize once again how important community and support is. I will forever cherish this experience and am so grateful to have received such a gift. Surfing is really effing cool. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about all of it, but let's start with that day itself and that wave. Mm. What was the, what was happening <clears throat> with that swell event? How did you decide to go where you went? You don't need to state where it was. Sure. And um, what's your relationship with that? And what were the conditions like? What board did you pick? All that stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> so I first surfed that sp specific spot. Gosh, it must have been 96 or 7, I believe. So have known about it for a long time, and it's – for those that know, it's a very fickle wave, and it has to be everything has to be very particular and on point when it comes to swell, swell direction, tide, wind. Just so many things have to come into play for that thing to sort of be doing what it what it can do. And and when I surfed it first early on, it was um, it wasn't that good, but I just ha I saw kind of the potential. It was before some of those movies came out with like one with Dean Randazzo. Um, and then another, the other one was the secret machine with Damien Hobgood. And it was so funny. A few days prior to going down, I was, I was watching the secret machine section on YouTube. I was just tuning into that and just watching Damo just play with those waves. I mean, it was knowing how, amazing and, and intense that wave can be like to see what he was doing was like I was tr I was tripping out and that was a long time ago and obviously he was at the top of his game then too so it was so inspiring but yeah just just prior you know probably about a week and a half out I saw the potential of the storm and what was what was sort of forming and, and it looked pretty substantial and how it was coming really low and you, know, you have to have a really west swell for that spot to do its thing. So, um, yeah, I talked to a couple friends, a couple texts, and just guys that are tuned into that area, and just it was just on my mind. It was just like I felt like this was the this was the swell for for that spot. Um, and yeah, everything looks so good on paper a week and a half out, and I've had a couple times in the past where we've seen that, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's too north by mm. just like two or three four to five degrees i mean it's such a specific window so this one this one had it all and and yeah when i saw kind of the, when i saw the buoys is when i really was like holy shit this is this is insane like the harvest buoy i forget what the readings were but it was like i mean it was the biggest i had ever seen it and and uh all, all i mean it was like the, the interval was huge. The, the, the height was huge and, and the, uh, the direction looked pretty good. So, um, I've been kind of playing with twin fins and really twin fins for the last like seven years now, eight years. Like I haven't ridden a thruster in like eight years, seven or eight years. Wow. And I, you know, I grew up on thrusters yeah. and like a lot of us, <laughs> And I, I just came to a point in my surfing where I was like, shoot, I want to experiment and do some other things and see what's going on here. And 
and I just fell in love with them. And then, and then once I connected to the boys here at Album, I, I my whole world just completely exploded. And that was probably about five five years ago when I got on the Twins Men, and I just was like, holy shit, this is like a whole another level of fun. And you can rip these things, and you know, Twin Fins historically have a hard time. I feel going back backside and yeah. the in the twinsman specifically was the one i was like oh my god i can her backside on a twin fin like okay this is cool so long story short um i was i was super interested in just getting some longer tw- twinsmans or twin fins from from album and and it's so funny because like in the last probably two years i've i've gotten matt parker's um uh, three of his personal boards like He'd post them, I think it was on his Instagram or something, saying, like, oh, here's a board I just made. And I would just DM or, or text him and be like, I'm like, what's up with that thing, dude? Is that thing, you want to get rid of that thing? And he's like, not really. I'm like, okay, well, I'm interested. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll sell it to you. Or After he rides them, though? Or? After he rode them a okay. couple times, cool. yeah. That's ideal for him. To totally. be able to R and D and just totally. hand it off, but it's funny though because like, dude, I weigh like a buck thirty five. I was gonna say, and he's probably like what close what? to one eighty. Yeah, yeah, he's a much bigger human than taller, I am. taller, taller. Too. Yeah, just a bigger frame. And um, but but I got on that. I got on um, a six nine Twinsman, and it's a mid length. It's made for like mid length surfing, mm-hmm. you know. And I just was like this thing could do good in bigger ways. Like I know it, it was just the feeling that I had when I put it on my arm and when I wrote it, I'm like the, the speed that this thing gets, the squirt is like, it's meant for bigger waves. And so I started to sort of introduce those into bigger waves. Um, and then, and then the, the one, the board that I rode that day, um, it's a six, six, two and a half inches thick. And it's about, it's 19 and 19 and three quarters wide. So it's a, it's a beefy unit lot of foam in the front and um same thing he posted and i just was like or no i came here to get another board and it was here and i put it on my arm and i'm just like what's up with this thing and and mike's like that's matt's personal board i'm like of course it is i want out like i'm down with this thing and then i i basically got it as a mid-length just to play with you know just like north county and then um but knowing that like if the right swell and situation came came up that this would be a board i would love to ride and yeah, so I packed a few boards and that six, six was kind of the one where I was like, this is the board I want to ride if it's doing what I think it's going to be doing. Mm. So yeah, just, uh, cru- did, you, did you mission down by yourself? Or no, I went down car? with my buddy, Taylor Evans, okay. who's, who's a good friend and he's a firefighter, amazing surfer. And, um, we, we, I have a ski and we do like step offs and things like that. And, but um, he's like he's kind of like my go-to mission guy for Max, and and it's it's super. We have a, we have a great time. So yeah, I went down there that morning and just I knew it was going to be a shit show yeah. just because of how that place is. Yeah. And so we were like, let's just go early. Let's just get there. And it had been raining before too, and there was all these rumors of like, oh, it's might be the gate might be closed. Or the, the gate was closed the day before um, to the zone. And so we were just like, let's just go and get there early. And so we got there by eight o'clock in the morning, eight eight thirty, and you know, low tide wasn't until like three thirty in the afternoon, which is the optimum time. That's when it's going to sort of turn on. So we just uh, when we got there, it was kind of like pumping. It felt felt like it was the the beef or the bulk of the swell in, in the morning, but the tide was super high, and there was three guys out and. And we're just like, let's just go get a couple under our belt and just kind of like cruise. And 
So went down, went down the cliff and, and it was the most treacherous entry I've like ever dealt with because when the tide is high like that, it's just like pounding on, the, it's like doubling up, pounding on the rocks basically. Mm. And uh, it took me a half hour just to like figure out where the hell am I going to get in the water? I tried to do, cause you can kind of walk up the point and sort of sneak in. There was no way. So I went to the very bottom of the, of the, uh, the point and somehow slipped out and actually didn't even get my hair wet. But, um, but kind of had a little bit of shocker. Like I had just this little moment of just like, Hmm, this little session didn't really, you know, I didn't, I missed a really good wave, a big one. And I was on the six, six. And, 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 and when I missed that wave, I'm like, there is so much energy out here right now. Like this is full on, you know? So anyways, I, you know, we searched about two hours. I got a couple fun ones. And, and then I was like watching just like droves of humans come out. You know, it was probably by the time I got went from three to 30 and probably about, you know, two hours. And so I was like, Hey, it's time to just go relax and just sort of refuel and, and, um, and just, just, just take some inventory and just sort of chill for a second because knowing when, it, what, what I thought was going to do later in the afternoon and just sort of just, you know, take my time. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the first part. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's carry on. Yeah. I have no questions other than okay. carry on to the actual, uh, I guess second session it would be. Yeah. It'd be the second session. Yeah. So I, so I got up there and, um, yeah, I mean, it was like every, all the pros were showing up, like, um, you know, all the groms and just was like, it was, it was awesome because I knew that this was a special day and I just, I was just so present with what was going on and, and it was, it was really, it was really cool to just sort of see and hear everybody, the excitement and then just like, the cheers and the waves would come and just, I mean, it's like a stadium there. So it's just like, you're seeing these waves just stacking from the outside and then, and then watching guys ride waves and get good waves. But it's um, also with that much anticipation, it's hard to <laughs> number one, it's often we uh, create an expectation that it's impossible to live up to, you know, and you inevitably have less fun when you're expecting like, Oh, the waves are pumping. I'm going to paddle out there and get a, perfect one and then it's always lets you down whereas if you keep expectation low it always over delivers so it's an interesting situation that you put yourself in with that much kind of planning and prep and anticipation and then for it to all come together is an indicator of kind of your instagram caption yeah. of just being present and prepared but present totally yeah. yeah it's just like exactly that just preparation and then just let go it's yeah. like you need to like let go there's there's you cannot, well, number one, you cannot force mother nature, especially the ocean, specifically the ocean. It's, it's, it's about, and for me, it's just about truly letting, letting go as much as possible and then trusting yeah. ultimately. It's just, you're, you know, it's like, I know I have the ability still, like I know if the wave comes, I could, I could ride the wave successfully, okay. but it's more about just like letting it be, let it go and just be present to what's sort of unfolding during the day and that's exactly what I did. And I remember just a lot of guys up on the cliff, like, Oh, it's so slow. It's crowded. It's this and that. And, and I just was like, just witnessing being the, you know, just listening. Yeah. And, 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 and then you can feel when someone says that, or a few people say it, it just kind of trickles and just becomes this ripple effect of negativity essentially. Right. So I was noticing and I'm, I, 
I was conscious of just like not getting involved with that conversation. It's almost like the chatter in your head. It was almost like these people were the chatter in your head. And if you're not, if you're not careful, you can get sucked right into that. hundred percent. And then all of a sudden it kind of, you know, it, it has an effect on your mood, your day, just everything that's going on. So I was really cognizant of that and just, um, and just sort of like if someone said I, it might've been Taylor or I don't even know who it was, but one, one person on the cliff was like, well, we're not going to get away standing up here. And I was like, it's, it's time. Let's go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I mean, I was in my wetsuit from eight 30 in the morning till like three 30 in the afternoon, basically. Wow. Yeah. When I came up, I just like put it halfway down and just, you know, put a sweatshirt on or whatever and just ate my food and just drink water. And, um, and then it was just like, okay, put the wetsuit back on. No question. Grab the six, six, just like grabbed it. And then, um, walked down the cliff and, um, I ran into Dylan Graves, which was super cool. And, and it was interesting too, because prior to walking down, there hadn't been that many set waves. Like it was kind of like, God, is it going to turn on? Like what, like what's happening? This doesn't seem right right now. It should be pumping, you know? And it just really wasn't so yet. And then we went down and, and it was cool because like right when we were at the edge about to sort of like get into the water, like the best wave of the day came. And I think it was Gabe Garcia that got it. And I saw him, we both saw him just get a stand up barrel. I saw that clip too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the wave that we saw standing on like right on the shoreline. And I remember Dylan was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, and I, and I just was like, I remember being like silent and it was almost like this, like emotionless. It was like, I was just like taking it all in and, and I didn't have words almost. It was just interesting. I remember I, I reflected back on that moment with Dylan right then. And then we just like skirted out. And so the strangest thing for me was after all the times that I've, I've surfed there, I've never, gone that far up the point before mm. and because there were so many guys and and honestly there was a, a lot of guys that had never surfed there before but they were pros and they're seeing something like they see a wave breaking out there that they believe they could connect all the way through and so and i just like really slowly sort of just like trickled out kind of in the spot where I, we normally take off and i mean these guys are 150 yards further out which like i said i'd never seen that before so i was like okay i'm just gonna like start to creep out and just really slowly make my way out there and that's exactly what i did and and i sat i sat wide didn't even like i was tripping because i like i said i'd never seen anybody connect from the top all the way through all the way through and so um, I remember seeing Taro get a really good one, the, the Grom Taro. Like, I was one guy, it was me and him, and he got the wave, and, and I was like, I was stoked because it was a freaking good wave. And um, and I just continued to paddle out, and, I'll, and I was sitting wide, and I was like, okay, here I am. I'm on the right board. Like, if the wave comes and I'm in position, cool it or not, that's cool too. Like, I'm just stoked to be out here and witnessing some of these incredible waves. Yeah. And so within, within a matter, this is like 25 minutes into, my, into me paddling out. I hadn't caught a wave. And within a matter of like 30 minutes, this set comes. And there's probably about 10 to 12 guys sitting just, you know, inside. Probably 10. And um, I mean, it was like Griffin. And I don't 
Crosby was out there. I don't think he was out the top though. But um, I think Alan oh, Alan Cleveland was down further. But yeah, it was a good group of like surfers that know know what the heck they're doing. And uh, so this set came and and I just was like noticing it was going a little bit wide and but I was like, okay, am I in the right spot? I don't know. I've never been out here before. I don't even know what's really going on. And all the and and so basically I noticed that like so we're all scratching to paddle out. And I'm noticing, I'm looking over, and I'm like, these guys are too deep. Like, they're too deep and they're too far in. And I was, you know, I was out a little bit and wider. And sure enough, the thing just, like, completely, like, corner ch- had this, like, perfect ramp chip shot that was, like, came right, it just came right to me. And, and, I, and I turned around, and I was, I was so head down and focused. I was like, I'm going no matter what. And if someone's on the wave, I'll just kick out. Like that was what was going on for me. And I heard a hoot and I caught the wave and hooting you in. Yeah. No, no, no. Someone was catching the wave. Oh shoot. Someone was trying to call me off, Oh. <laughs> but it was distant. And that's why I think I continued to paddle. And, um, and I freaking stood up on this wave and I got to the bottom and I did a little check over my left shoulder and there was no one there. Perfect. And so what happened was it's, I actually posted an Instagram clip of like three different angles of the wave video video. And then the last video you can see the whole from the very takeoff. And there's one guy that takes off and basically just goes directly over the bars. Like he just, he just pearls basically on takeoff. And, um, so yeah, man, it was, I couldn't believe it when I, 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 I had a moment of like, I'm on this way by myself. Like there was this like moment of like thought of like, holy shit, you're on this way by yourself. How the fuck, like what the hell is going on? And then it was just like locked in, focused and yeah, just the amount of speed I got when I, cause it kind of like, I dropped in, I kind of dropped in and then I, and then I looked and then I was like instantly sort of in this pocket and then I came out of the pocket and then it went into the double up basically. And the amount of speed I got going down that double up was like nothing I've ever experienced. I was just talking to Matt about it. That twin fin was just like, it was insane how much speed. And, um, and so I fade, I was fading. I was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to fade to get in the right spot. Also not knowing where I really was on the point. And it just became this like really slight fade and then a bottom turn, and then noticing once I got back up into the kind of in the pocket, noticing I'm too deep, and then I had to do that pump, which allowed me to get, allowed me to come out essentially because I got that extra like squirt of speed. But yeah, it was, it was crazy, man. It was just like, it was a wave of a lifetime. There's no question, and it's. I mean, since then, it's like a lot of things have changed for me. So, it's crazy that like one wave can really really do that you know and I mean I've had a lot of waves in my 40 years of surfing a lot of incredible trips a lot of trips all over the world and beautiful you know surf spots Tavaruas and all kinds of places but like I don't know this one has like imprinted it so much deeper in me for some reason well because of your uh where you were at mentally yeah I think I think so for sure yeah absolutely absolutely it yeah, like I said in the in the Instagram, it was a definite representation of a lot of the just the personal kind of growth work that I've been doing on myself. And yeah, you know, we all have challenges and go through our stuff. And so it was sort of 
yeah, it was just, it was just a reflection to me of like, you're doing the work. Here's your gift. Yeah. Keep going, keep mm. doing it, you know, keep investing into yourself, keep looking inward and, and, and seeing what's there. And, and yeah, it just, <laughs> it was almost like, you know, and, and when I say God, you could say universe, you could say nature, you could say whatever that means for you, but it was almost just like proof of God in a sense, proof of nature, proof of universal energy or some sort of something bigger than me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that I, that, uh, that was like an affirmation of just like, yeah, you're taken care of, dude. Just keep going, do your thing. I mean, you touch on it in the Instagram, but um, when we hear enlightened people or actualized people talk about live in the present, enjoy the gifts of every day. You know, waking up is a gift. The sunshine on your skin is like little things like that. We're like, yeah, I get it. Whatever. Intellectually, I get it. Moving on. That is a perfect record. Like you've probably had as good of waves in your life, maybe better waves in your life, but they didn't resonate because you weren't in the position. And so it's a good reminder just to be in that state of appreciation and acceptance and gratitude to appreciate these gifts. hundred percent. No question. Because a lot of those gifts might have fallen on deaf ears in decades prior. Oh, there's no question. <laughs> yeah, it would have been like, okay, I, I want another wave like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, I mean, that's, that's us Paddling as out, hassling the next person. Totally. Yeah. And that's us as surfers, you know, it's like, we're always looking for that next wave. And it's like, what about the one that's right in front of you and the, the one that's happening now? And can you appreciate, I mean, even if it's a two foot wave at Sano. Yeah. You know, and that for me, it's like, Nowadays, my appreciation is in every wave and mm -hmm. every time I get to enter the ocean and, and like, holy, holy shit, what a, what a, what a gift to be able to enjoy the fruits of, of the ocean and, and what mother ocean provides for us. And, you know, it's like, I for sure took that for granted for a long time. Yeah. And now, you know, as I've gotten older and especially with that wave, it's just sort of cemented how, how powerful it is and how important it is. And how, how those sorts of moments are a representation of how you're living your life. Mm. Um, how instantaneously were you aware of what that wave was? Hmm. Pretty quickly, to be honest. I mean, when I came out of the barrel and like, it's, it's so funny because the wave kept going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like... I thought that thing was over because <laughs> in my mind it was, you know, it was like it kept going and actually Josh Kerr got the inside of it and it, it like he got super barrel, but it, clo it closed out at the end. And it was, it was actually fun to watch because um, I hadn't seen any other video clips that actually continued down the wave and I saw one that continued. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm stoked that he got the end of that yeah. thing. Yeah, so why'd you kick out her? Oh, dude, I, I just was like, I'm d I was, I thought I was like in the channel. I thought I was like, I thought, well, I was, it was like a rebirth essentially is like, I didn't need anymore. You know what I mean? So, Share it with Josh. Yeah. No, I was, yeah. So I don't even know. I lost my train of thought. Well, I was just asking how instantaneously did you oh. know it was impactful? Yeah, no, pretty quickly, like pretty, pretty quickly. Cause when I, yeah, I remember just like coming out and it was like this, like over, it just was like this joy yet blissfulness. Like I was like, remember just like, almost nonstop like giggling and like laughing and just like with in disbelief. Like it was, I mean, there's two time, two to three times in the barrel where I was like, there's, I'm not coming out. Like I'm not, coming. Oh, yeah. you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. 
And then when I, and then to make it was just like, holy shit. Like, like I couldn't believe it. And yeah. And then, and then after, after I was just like, I'm so done. Like I, I don't need anything else, you know? And I just was like kind of paddling up and talking to everybody and people were freaking out and coming up to me and saying rad stuff and tripping and, 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 and it just was like, I just had this overwhelming feeling of gratitude and I, just, I knew quickly that it was a life changer for sure. And, and especially, I mean, I caught one wave in and it was like three forty-five, four o'clock in the afternoon. My plan was to surf till black, you know, and I got up there and just coming up the cliff and everybody's just like clapping and this whole, like, it was wow. just like so cool and to receive that. And, um, yeah, I just went to the car and, um, I asked a guy there for a beer and I just <laughs> had a couple beers just like relishing in, in that moment. And yeah, it was pretty quickly that I, I realized, but, but it, it got even like more crazy after like the social media. And then once I saw the photos, like, yeah, that was amazing. Did you know that day that it had been captured on video and photo? for sure video, for sure video and photos from, from the beat, from the beach, I saw a bunch of skis show up. And, um, and I, and I, I was fairly certain there was photographers on the skis and there was a boat too, but I didn't know, I didn't know for sure. Like I didn't know, I didn't have a clue. And then, and then I, and then I quickly found out later that night, actually I hooked up with the photographer and, um, the guys he was with and he's like, I got your, I got your, I got it from the water on a ski. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, no, I got it. I'm like, holy shit. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, that photo, I mean the sequence, but that one or two images of that sequence were the shot of the entire swell. Mm. Like we saw lots of imagery come out of all of the Pacific, you know, the West Coast from that run. That was it. Mm. And if the magazines were still around, you would have yourself a cover shot, dude. And who <laughs> knows, maybe you still will, actually. Mm. There's a couple. But I mean, honestly, I was like, it was just astounding imagery. Mm, I fully agree and so Ari Ari Rapwell am I saying his name right his last name he he shot that image and um I don't know if you follow him on his Instagram or checked his I don't think I do yeah you should check it out and check out what he wrote about that image okay. it's really cool okay he's younger and he just was talking about how he had visualized that exact moment in time and how it came true and how it was just a really big achievement for him. So, and since then we've been talking a bunch and we've, we've created this cool little friendship and um, he's just a really sweet human and I'm really stoked for him. I mean, he got a shot. It was the shot that he'd been wanting to get his whole life. Yeah. You guys are on the same wavelength. Completely, hmm. completely. And yeah, it's it really cool. And he has a, he has a cool story behind all that too. So yeah. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, you were talking about not even wanting to surf or catch another wave after that. or mm -hmm. It's hard, um, like, letting it soak in. You know what I mean? Like, if you, it's almost like if you caught more waves, it would somehow diminish that experience. 100%. It's a weird thing. 100%. I, I, like, I was contemplating paddling directly in. That was my first wave. <laughs> in that second sesh yeah and i caught one more that was just like kind of a go in yeah just yeah, like yeah. it was almost like i just i just want to go in you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? yeah. to like I bottle know. that in bottle that feeling because otherwise it's almost like having a buffet you overeat totally 
And it's like, oh, they have prime rib and crab and sushi. And, yeah. and it's like, no, prime rib by itself or yeah. just crab by itself is phenomenal. Focus on that, you know? 100%. It's like a life lesson almost. Well, and, and interestingly enough, as you know, there were two more giant swells right after. Yeah. And the same spot was breaking multiple times. And people were continuing to ask me, like, you want to go back down? Let's go. I'm like, dude, I'm done. Like, I'm good. Like, I don't want to taint, taint that experience for myself right now. I'm riding, riding this wave, riding this wave right now. And, and I just want to, I just want to bask in it right now. So. Well, um, we'll get into kind of more of what that caption is about and the kind of, uh, journey that you'd been on, but did you ever think that your best surfing was still ahead of you when you turned 50? I didn't know. And I know that deep down that, that I, I, like I knew, I know that I'm in the right conditioning to okay. catch something like that or surf to a certain level still. And I, I mean, I, I wrote in my journal, I had an intention for my 50th year. One intention was to get really barreled. And it happened six days into the year, <laughs> which was really cool. And, and, you know, it could, but it could be, it could have been anywhere. It could have just been like a two foot little barrel at a short break or a wave pool or something or whatever. Just like that feeling, you know, of just getting, getting barreled as surfers. That's the ultimate. And for me in my life, that's the thing that I, yeah, the thing that I've always loved the most, you know, over anything else, which a lot of surfers can probably say the same thing over like an error turn yeah. or whatever. So, mm. yeah. That's what resonated with me for the Instagram caption was, and I think for a lot of my audience, you know, there's not 18 year olds necessarily listening to the podcast. It's a lot of middle-aged dudes who are mm -hmm. maybe past their athletic prime. Totally. And so reading that and seeing that um, with the right amount of preparation, but also, um, uh, perspective that you can still kind of, uh, your best surfing may still be ahead of you. hundred percent, hundred percent. I did, um, I interviewed Hackman a number of years ago and then Felipe Pomar just last month. And he's, they've got this whole thing that is surf till 100. Yeah. It's, um, like a whole program, like a holistic program that they're on. And you would think it would all be about physicality, mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, it's like certainly a big part of it. And diet, but uh, he also talks about just like be of service in your community, mm. you know, and have mm -hmm. a support system and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And Love so it. it's, yeah, it's really interesting. Lessons that I think come after five or six decades of life and four decades in the water, you know. 100%. I, I love all that. Yeah. So let's talk about your mission a little bit. Okay. Your journey that brought you to that place. <laughs> uh, we'll go all the way back to the beginning. Where'd you grow up? And how'd you discover surfing? Um, so I kind of was all over California until I was around 10. I was up in Northern California, ended up down in Lake Forest of all places, mm -hmm. inland, kind of Orange County. And uh, I ended up at Huntington Harbor and started surfing at Bolsa Chica, where I learned to surf at Doheny. My dad got me a, my dad got me a, actually my first board was a twin fin. <laughs> it was a San Miguel twin fin. And, and 
and I learned there. And then we, we shortly thereafter moved to Huntington Harbor. My parents had sep- got divorced. And I started to surf at Bolsa Chica. That's my zone. Really? <coughs> I lived in the harbor for 12 years. No way. Yeah. Cool. On those big swells like that, Bolsa Chica is kind of like one of the only zones in that area that you can find a little nook or cranny often yeah. without getting the full brunt. Yeah. Did you remember 33 when it used to be th- Tower 33 back in the day? No. Okay. So it was called Tower 33 and it was like, you know where Jack in the Box is? Yeah. It's probably like two or three towers south. Okay. Yeah. Into Bolsa. Yeah, into Bolsa. So, so that's pretty much where I like started to really tune into surfing and there were, there were local pros there. There guys like, uh, Scott Farnsworth, Gary Clisby, um, Ryan Keenan. Those are kind of the three that were like doing the pro surfing thing. And I remember watching them and just like being stoked on them. And so, but shortly thereafter, uh, when I was 15, I moved to Newport, my dad moved to Newport. And so that was really where I started to kind of like just really fall in love with surfing. I mean, I was in love with it before, but it was like, okay, you know, I think I got sponsored by like Town and Country or I forget who else at the time. I was writing for Carl Hayward Surfboards and um, I started doing some contests and things like that. So Newport was definitely like my stomping grounds for shoot like 20 years was your dad into surfing no my dad didn't surf but my got mom you. didn't surf but he my bought mom you the surfed board. like one time but okay like, yeah but they supported it yeah they supported it but there was yeah they totally were like do whatever you want but it wasn't like they were like down on the beach or at the contest it was kind of like i was always catching rides with friends and their yep. parents to go surf contests and stuff so okay. so yeah but they 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 always supported supported whatever i was doing yeah. yeah. So that would have been early nineties. Yeah. So, um, the, uh, industry mm-hmm. is kind of on the ascent. Obviously mm-hmm. things are starting to blow up and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I w- I got sponsored by Quicksilver, um, when I was probably about 17 or so. And I was on the NSSA national team for about a year. And and then, yeah, the the Vulcan thing started shortly thereafter. <laughs> well, yeah, let's enter that conversation through uh, who is Richard Wolcott to you? Richard Wolcott to me is a friend, um, an, a mentor, and an ex-boss. At Quicksilver? Um, originally? Well, yeah, Quicksilver originally. Yeah. Yeah, so he, was, he was doing promotions and... Team and manager? Uh, he wasn't a team manager. There was uh, Robbie Todd was a team manager, okay. and there's another guy who's like a 54th Street local was the team manager. But Wooly was sort of running the promotions department. Got it. And then he quit, and I was still quick. And, and then he started Volcom, and then within like six or seven months of them starting, that's when he approached me. Do you know why he left Quicksilver? Specifically, I, I don't. Okay. Yeah, I don't I, know exactly I don't, why. I don't know. I'd never heard either. Um, but it wasn't as if, in my kind of uh, remembering of the storyline, it wasn't as if he left to start Volcom. Volcom no. came as an idea after he yeah, was already gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it was just, yeah. That'd be an interesting one. You should have him on the podcast. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and ultimately, once he started Volcom, mm-hmm. you were the first hire. Yeah. So 
you'd met at Quicksilver, you were a team yep. rider at the time. Yep. Had you guys forged like a really tight relationship or what do you think what it was behind his reasoning to bring you on at Volcom? You know, we weren't all that tight. It was definitely, we knew, we knew of each other and he obviously knew of me because I rode for Quicksilver. Um, but yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I, I mean, I was, I was in Newport surfing. It was like, that was like my thing, you know? So maybe he saw that as a big part of it. It was like, oh, here's this kid. He's 18 years old. Like he's, you know, fully entrenched in the Newport yeah. 54th street scene. Here's a, here's a good kid to potentially represent the company as a, as a, as a surfer, but then also like doing like work, working too, you know, it was, it was presented to me in a way of like, yeah, you're going to like surf for the company, but also like, this is a potential like job opportunity. This is a position. I mean, this is just when it was Tucker, Wooly, and then me. Right. So this was in his bedroom in Newport Shores. So it was, it was stickers. It was nothing, you know? So, and I think I just like, I liked, I liked Wooly, you know, I just liked, I liked him and what he stood for. And I just loved the idea that he was starting his own thing. And I was so young, some intuitive part of me just was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I was getting paid like a couple hundred bucks from Quicksilver. And then of course I'm not getting paid anymore. And <laughs> which whatever. You and don't have a mortgage to pay your kids to raise yeah, at that no, point. Was, so it's easy. I to had like, we were in a house with like four other guys yeah, just yeah. In, in Costa Mesa. Um, paint a picture of what, what surfing kind of the brands looked like at that time. Like what were the brands images and what was Volcom's entry point? What were they going to do different? What was the concept for Volcom? Yeah. Well, it was very surf heavy. Like everything was very surf heavy. And then, you know, Wooly, Wooly and Tucker got introduced pretty around that time, maybe a little bit earlier to snowboarding. It was like right when snowboarding was born, basically. So when they, they went and snowboarded for a while up in Tahoe prior, which I think is where it was born, like the idea, it was like, you know, do something different than just a surf company. Like we have, we have surf roots, we're surfers, but like snowboarding is freaking rad and it's just starting. And then also the skateboarding side of things too. So they're, they're, the motto was youth against establishment. So it was like basically, you know, move away from the status quo and create something new and different and, youth is leading the charge and Wooly was 26 back then when he started so it was like he he we were all that you know we were like the youth against establishment essentially like by doing this company and just like paving our own path and doing something that had never been done before which was be legitimate in surfing skating and snowboarding and so Sur uh, snowboarding had not been embraced by any of those brands no. yeah no 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 i mean this was you know this was 1991 yeah 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 um Ultimately, you kind of get involved in a marketing role mm -hmm. from Volcom. Was that from the get-go? I was I was wearing all kinds of hats. Yeah. I was like production, shipping, marketing, just gopher, like whatever whatever needed to be done, I did. And and but over time, the marketing thing sort of became my natural habitat. Gotcha. That was where I shined, I guess, and and um and it, I enjoyed it. You know, I I, I really loved it. Was the uh, was it just T-shirts to local kids in the community, or what was yeah? What was the launch? What was the concept at, from launch? It was just to put stickers on signs and give stickers to kids and give T-shirts to people. And shoot, I remember. I think Wooly had this like this like yellow um, kind of pamphlet, like line line pamphlet with 
with all the Quicksilver team riders on it, like by hand. This is prior to computer anything too, by the way. Like everything was done by hand for the most part. And he was like, go through that list and send stickers to everybody on that list, <laughs> including like all the Quicksilver team riders. <laughs> and so I remember just like writing and writing on the envelopes, all these addresses and, and then even making phone calls. He's like, call these people and just like tell them about what's going on or whatever. I'm just like, okay. So it was just so raw and just like on the fly almost. Yeah. And I mean, Wooly, Wooly's, you know, he's a business major and he's smart, but I know that, well, I, could, I think I could speak for himself that what actually happened, he, he could have never imagined what, what, what was going to happen, you know, with the company. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was all kinds of hats. I was wearing all kinds of hats in the beginning. I was, I graduated high school in 1999. So it was right kind of in that time that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I lived inland, but, uh, Newport and Huntington were kind of my entry points for surfing. That's just where those freeways funnel, you know? And uh, Volcom was just hitting it then, and it was so cool. Like, the way that I envisioned it, or the way that it kind of, uh, I experienced it was videos, amateur, like, homegrown kind of small community events was a big part of it, and um, team riders, which are a part of both those things, I guess, where it was like, the clothing was almost third or fourth in the, in the way that I even experienced it. You know, it was more, it was a brand. It was like this identity that existed. And then the clothing was like, but because of the identity was so strong, you desperately wanted the clothing. Whereas I feel like those other brands that had already been established, it was like very much clothing was first. And then, you know, Kelly's a reflection of the clothing or something like that. Um, I'm curious the team writers, I guess, is what was most impactful for me. Did you have a strategy for who and how you would pick team writers? Yeah, I mean, talent was definitely part of it, but it wasn't the whole picture. It was, it was around, like, individuals, like, being, like, just artistic individuals where their surfing or skateboarding and snowboarding was imp was important but it wasn't the whole thing it was it was about the package you know so i wouldn't say there was an actual strategy it was always just like us having a conversation of like okay well does he fit does he fit kind of like volcom and it was like this a feeling it was almost like a quick like oh yeah or no it was like a yes or no mm. and it was like because we were so young and so in it, there was no strategy. It didn't need to be a strategy. It was just like, there were our friends almost. It's like, who do we want to hang out with? <laughs> Ultimately, who do we want to go on trips with? Who do we feel could be a representation of this company and in this, like, you think it's establishment kind of energy, you know? So, yeah, it was just, it was just always just a real short conversation and just like, okay, well, how do we get them <laughs> kind of thing, you know? Who was your first surf pick? Uh, well, I was the first surfer, so, um, but like actual surf kind of starish kind of human, I think it was Gavin. Yeah. Pretty sure. Barney or Gavin? Sean Barron or Gavin? One of the two where they were established already and like had, had some stuff going on for sure. Who was Gavin with prior? I don't even know Gavin prior to Vulcan. 
really good question. <laughs> I don't even know what it was. Yeah, it's weird, Not right? Sure. It's so synonymous. Yeah. Yep. So is Barney. Totally. Barney was instinct. Oh, really? Yeah. But I think there was a gap, maybe. I think, I want to say he wasn't, I don't think he was sponsored by Instinct then. I think they had, Instinct was gone already. That's, yeah, I would say. That's a good surf trivia question right there. But he was on Instinct. Um, I remember, so when I, my awareness was Punker Pat, who was probably like 12 or something, you know, um, Dave Post. Mm-hmm. He was early. And then those guys that were kind of in the magazines. But yeah. in the local scene, it, that's yeah. who jumps out at me. For sure, yeah. Mike, Mike Morrissey. Mike Morrissey, yep. Those, yep. So, yeah, there was a lot of, like, local contingencies. Like, we would definitely, like, kind of go through the towns and handpick certain people to sort of, like, fly the flag. And then Bruce, of course. Bruce, of course. That came a couple years later. Okay. Yeah. Um, how did, so amateur events I mentioned, or, like, mm-hmm. community-led events, how did that it's a genius concept. I mean, it's almost logical, but in hindsight, that was, I feel like um, you could attribute the success and the rapid growth of the brand to that. Yeah. Because again, I was experiencing it slightly inland and I saw this stuff happening and it was just like, whoa, those are the cool kids. I'm not sure that I'm cool, but I want to be in that thing. And if I can't be in that thing, I want to buy the thing to look like that thing, which is all of what surfing is about, you know? Totally. Did Who identified that as being kind of an important marketing strategy? Well, that sort of came from Quick. Quick Quick would do these Echo Beach kind of gatherings, almost like mini contests. And, and, And I remember, you know, Wooly wanting to sort of like continue that. And when I got my hands on it, um, first they were like, we, I don't even know what we called them. They were just like breakfast at 54th Street or like donuts at the beach, you know, and we just put up a tent, bring a bunch of donuts. And that was literally it. That was the beginning of like the let the kids ride free series. And then I'll, then it kind of slowly naturally formed into a little con- contest at 54th street and that was that was called the starfish surf series that's right and that yeah. was the first one and so then i so i basically was running those every single week we do we do an event and we just i'd get a couple people to judge and it would just be so obviously no permits none of that sh- crap didn't need to and uh we would just do these like super grassroots contests and then like at the end we'd have like 50 bucks and give them like give someone like 50 bucks to that win that one you know like one division and that was where it started. And then all of a sudden it just like kind of grabbed hold and, you know, and as we were kind of growing a little bit, it was like, why don't we just do these in different surf, surf towns? And then it just was like, okay, let's, let's do one in San Diego. Okay. Let's, let's do one in Mora Bay. Okay. Now let's do one in Santa Cruz. And, and you know, we were having fun with, and, and the whole thing was around um, let the kids ride free. So the, the, the mantra was we will never charge for these contests. So it just gave access to these, to, to, to anybody to surf the contest. And I think that was the biggest thing was that anybody could do it. It didn't cost anything. And then we really did our best to like blow people away with like amazing prizes too, like money. And just like, we would just get so much stuff from different companies that would just give us all kinds of things. And we would just, these kids would walk away with so much gear from a free contest. And then, you know, a few few years later, it's like worldwide, essentially. So, I mean, it went to Japan, Australia, 
Europe, South Africa, we had it. I mean, it was, it was global. Yeah. And then, so that was surfing. And then we're like, let's do it with snowboarding. Right. And let's do it with skating. So we did it with snowboarding, skating, and surfing. And I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about it. I'm like, that was our social media back in the day. Completely. And it was all grassroots word of mouth. You know, and obviously this is well prior to social media being in existence. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was, and I still do believe that it was a big part of our success for sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And the films, like you said before, I think those two things. <clears throat> what was, how did films enter the fray? Obviously, Richie did Black and White mm -hmm. at Quicksilver with Kelly, which was a huge, yeah. I mean, that was a turning point for all of surf film, I'd say. 100%. Yeah. Um, so that was his, he probably recognized the value of that and uh, wanted to bring some of that into Volcom, but totally. filmmaking is an entire profession of its own. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you're running events and packing clothing yeah. and making the all of it, like how do you have time to do a film? What was the con? I mean, you just work with team writers. What yeah. was the initial concept for the first film? Well, the first film was called A Library Ride. It was a surf skate snow movie. It was sort of like we wanted to establish the brand as that. And yeah, Wooly had, he had, just come off of black and white. And now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, that movie was probably a big reason why I went with Wooly in the beginning, because I remember how, how much that movie impacted me as a kid. So um, that was kind of cool to think about there for a second. But, um, but yeah, just surfing, surf skate snow and just packaging it into a format around the youth against establishment kind of energy and just put it out to the people and, that was the beginning. That was, you know, that was probably 93, I think. 92 or 93. Who shot the film? Um, it was Wooly. Wooly shot a lot of it. This other guy, Nick Adams. Um, Brad, Brad Anderson, maybe. I don't know. There was a few other filmers so long ago. Okay. Chris Tronalone, Maui, I believe. There was some stuff in Porto. Yeah, it was kind of a hodgepodge of, like, different people in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Because you were making the films or shooting the films at some point, right? Yeah, right after the next okay. the next one, I believe, was The Garden. The snowboard film, The Garden. Yeah. And me and Wooly shot that entire film all was super, on Super 8. Crazy. Film cameras, yeah. Do you have any training at all for... No. Okay. <laughs> no, I would get back cartridges that were pure black, like, because I messed oh, up the exposure. No. <laughs> yeah. Going like I went on this one trip in particular to Europe. We were shooting Terry Hawkinson, who had, who is like one of the greatest all-time snowboarders ever, and that was when he was peaking. And so we went to go shoot this whole thing of him riding a half pipe, and I think I shot like 40, 40 rolls of film, which each roll is three minutes long, and when you buying, transferring, and processing roughly a hundred dollars a roll that's how expensive that shit was back and in still the day is. too yeah and 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 i got it all black back and it was all black i i had i had underexposed the entire trip and i was just like this is fucked <laughs> i was so bummed but that never happened again so of course yeah <laughs> yeah and so you're not only shooting but you learned how to edit. Yeah, we edited. We edited all of it. We would just, yeah. And, and back then, it was just it was VHS. It was too, all of our all of our masters were on beta, and then the betas would be transferred to VHS, and then those would be like our working sort of like offline 
raw clips to edit from. So it was like VHS player to VHS master. Like we'd have like 40 VHSs and then like one VHS master that would sit in there and we'd put the VHS like source in and then we'd have the little toggles and we'd mark our in and out and it would literally take that and record it to the master. And, and it had to be perfect to the frame. Mm. Perfect to the frame. You can't go, there was no software. There was none of that stuff. Like you could not go backwards. Um, so all these movies that we made in the beginning were like just first go. And, and I think, I mean, there's probably times when we would have to like, I don't know, start from scratch or something. Or yeah. just, it would just take weeks and weeks and we would just lock ourselves in a freaking dungeon and just like <laughs> edit. Crazy. Yeah, it was wild. Were you paying uh, licensing fees for music or anything at that time? Yeah, there was, yeah, we had an incredible connection actually at MCA Records. Oh, okay. Because some of the us. music's iconic. Yeah, and he he helped us like get the rights and sign off on like the craziest stuff. Yeah. It was, I couldn't believe we were able to do it. Okay. And we were. It was really cool. I mean, in, in a... For the past year, I've been telling you the many reasons that you should use waterwaystravel.com. So today, I'm going to make a specific recommendation, a personal recommendation. Panama, Bocas del Toro, Red Frog Bungalows. They are in the midst of the peak surf season, runs kind of from December through April. It's easy access from Southern California. It's affordable, and there are endless options for every level of surfing. And I don't just mean kind of novice to intermediate level. They also have incredible world-class surf. Hollow, sometimes very hollow, right and left reefs, winding into coves and bays with palm trees as a backdrop. In photos, it almost looks like Indonesia. Uh, There are three main islands, plus a lot of fringe islands, so plenty of surf all around, which also disperses and diffuses the crowd. Nice mix of reefs and beach breaks, and honestly, 10 really good waves within just 20 minutes of the resort. So I've been here. I've stayed at Red Frog Bungalows. I had an epic trip. And by the way, our friends over at Surf Stories Podcast uh, from the Florida Surf Film Festival, they've actually recorded an episode with the owner of Red Frog Bungalows, Scott Balo. So he's living the dream down there by setting up this resort, spending time exploring the area for surfing. That's episode number 12 of Surf Stories. If you want to go listen to the whole backstory, but if you want to get down there, you want to surf, you want to enjoy warm water barrels, do it through Waterways. Visit waterwaystravel.com. They will handle the rest. All you have to do is visit their website, click the inquiry button. They'll handle everything from there. Tell them I said hello. And when you find yourself down at Red Frog Bungalows, tell Scott Balo I said what's up to. All right, waterwaystravel.com. Enjoy. And you're going to need boards. You always need boards. Go to realwatersports.com. I posted an Instagram video this past week, shot out of an airplane window, filming the baggage handlers taking surfboards off of a plane. And uh, they're in board bags, but they're just throwing the board bags willy-nilly. I mean, they're cumbersome, so I have a feeling the baggage handlers are kind of pissed about having to deal with such cumbersome luggage. Um, So they're just throwing them. But the point is, they're in soft bags, and almost no matter how well you pack something like that, it's liable to get damaged when people are handling it that way. And I just thought, you know what? Soft bags are great for car travel. But a hard bag is really what you need for airline travel. So go to realwatersports.com, get your travel bags, get your surfboards themselves, 
And also with all accessories, you'll save 15% with a surfboard purchase. So throw them in your cart. And then when you go to check out, you'll notice the 15% automatically deducted if you are purchasing a surfboard along with those accessories. So you know the drill. They have flat rate shipping on surfboards. It's a low flat fee. They'll ship it to you anywhere in the world. Guaranteed, by the way, to show up blemish free, unlike those airlines. But check it all out at realwatersports.com. If you don't know exactly what you're looking for, they can help guide you through everything. They are experts, not only at shipping, but also with customer service. So realwatersports.com. Enjoy. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about, I mean, so much of what we started talking about was about finding balance in your life. And so this feels like the exact opposite of that. I mean, you're working essentially four or five roles in your position that are all full-time jobs, mm-hmm. but also getting older. So you probably want to get married at a certain point and have kids and what was your work life kind of balance like at that point? Was it out of whack or do you feel like it was all just one in the same and you could manage it? I mean, it was all one in the same. It was out of whack. It was perfect. It was chaos. It was just like, I was along for the ride truly. So not necessarily even assessing what it was. No, there was, there was, there was no time. Like it was just like my job was, 24 seven, like if, you know, in marketing it is 24 seven. And then as the company got bigger and, you know, all of a sudden I have 30 people reporting to me and they have all their stuff that they got going on. We have hundred, you know, hundreds of team writers and ads and just, just a lot of, a lot of different new pressures and things. And then, yeah, I got married and had three kids and, and, and that added to it too. So there wasn't much balance. It was just kind of, kind of like, Poetic chaos, essentially. <laughs> um, did the company sell or go public yeah. before you left? Yes, it went public in 2005. Oh, okay. I, didn't I left it was in that 2011. Long ago. Right. Tell me about that. Oof, what was behind that decision? And um, yeah, I mean, there was a there was a there was a little bit there was a couple different things behind the decision. Um, one of the biggest ones was to compete with the bigger brands, to have the capital to 
to compete with Bill Obama and Quicksilver and those big guns because they had, you know, endless capital at that point. Yeah. And so that was a that was a motivator. And then the other one was to provide shareholder value, of course. You know, I mean, there's people that invested money. And so the brand was hot as shit at the time. And the, mar- the, the economy was crazy hot, as you remember, probably in 2005, oh, yeah. prior to the... Sh- to the explosion (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so yeah those are kind of the two main factors and then yeah once we got that capital we were like we were like okay let's build out all these in stores let's like completely it instantly gave us money and finance to compete at that level which took us to the next level essentially Yeah. yeah um why did you ultimately choose to leave in 2011 well, um, I kind of, there was a couple things. I kind of had this like thing in the back of my mind where it was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do 20 years. When I got to about the 15 year mark, when I was kind of feeling a little bit like I'm not really stoked right now, I'm not like super happy, you know, it, it, it but I was like, <clears throat> and the other thing, the other big thing. I, I may had, I may had chose to left a little bit earlier, but the big thing for me was when the 2008 thing happened and just everybody's world got turned upside down, including Volcom's as a public company, you know, it was really challenging. And so for me, I was like, like in that moment, there was moments where I'm like, I'm out of here. Like, I don't even want to deal with this right now. Like the economy's crap, this like Volcom's, got really challenging, you know, really hard, but ultimately it was like, I've been here so long. I have an incredible team that I've helped create in the marketing department. And I just felt like it would be a disservice to them and also the company and myself to just walk away. So I just toughed it out for like two or three more years. And then I was like, okay, 20 years. And then, and, and in those few years we were able to sort of like kind of revamp our, like the brand essentially. Mm. And bring it to a place where I was like, okay, I feel good about leaving now. And I mean, the main reasons why I left was I just was not able to flex my creative muscle as much as I used to in the past. It was like I was a manager, you know, and just tons of hours in house cleaning up messes, essentially. And, you know, I just was like, wow, I feel stifled. My creative flow isn't here. I just I needed a reset. So that was really the main reason why I chose to leave. Yeah, I think anybody can understand feeling bogged down by all that bureaucratic thing that comes along with the public, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. But um, did you feel like the brand still reflected the original vision that you guys started with? When? At that point in 2011, when it was a public company and after it had kind of, the economy had crashed, was it still a reflection of what you guys had started? I thought at, I thought at that point it was still doing okay. pretty good like i thought it was doing i thought it was staying pretty true to like its roots essentially yeah Yeah. good yeah uh it's hard to maintain that yeah well the whole the whole when we were going public it was like oh my god how counterintuitive is this you know youth against establishment and all of a sudden we're the establishment that was a bit that was big to wrestle with and i know especially for wooly that was a really hard call for him i mean you even saying like why go public and your answer is well so we can compete with those brands i understand the impulse to want to compete with those brands and to want to grow and all that kind of stuff but there is an option of 
let's keep it a $20 million company and we all have a great lifestyle, you know? hundred percent. And that was an option too. And, you know, honestly, I wasn't, um, well, I was involved, but I think ultimately it was sort of the bigger shareholders who had sort of the real final say at the end of the day. Totally. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, Chris Morrow wrote, quote, after leaving in 2011, he set or he seemed set for life, at least on paper. After all, Volcom's market cap topped a billion dollars at its peak. But life has a way of messing up plans. His marriage fell apart after he moved to Kauai. He lost a good chunk of his fortune on what he calls bad egocentric bets. Then came a mysterious health problem. Within a few short years, the dream left or the dream life he built had come crashing down around him. <laughs> Can we talk about those things? Sure. Let's break them up a little bit. Um, uh, he had his life set, but then that came crashing down with, quote, bad egocentric bets. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about those bets? Yeah, just real estate. Just oh, prior to the bubble crashing? and Yeah. What was egocentric about them, do you think? Oh, just, you know, it, it was, it was partly ego, but a lot of night na- naiveness also. Because everything was just always growing. And I'm, yeah. And it was the first time I'd experienced that before in my life with having resources, you know, I had oh, money, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? So it was like, oh, it's like, this is how it's going to always be like completely naive, not, not understanding that actually like downturns happen, you know? And they're going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's when. So, yeah, I just kind of like put put a lot of emphasis into sort of buying real estate and just, you know, and then just that stuff just got slashed basically when the whole, you know, downturn happened. So, um, Where's the ego in that though? Just amassing, is it greed? Based? Yeah, is that what you're I, I about? wouldn't say it was. Gr- uh, I wasn't really greed. You know, it's interesting now that I'm sitting here thinking about it again. I really go to this now. I'm going to this word naive a bit more, um, and ego. Like there's both. It's kind of like this naive sense, but then there's also a bit of ego as well as like, oh, I can buy whatever I want. Like I can, I can have a house on Kauai. I can have a house here. I can have two houses there. I can have this or that. You know, and. And I think that's the ego side of things mm. and just sort of like thinking, oh, it's never going to crash. Like nothing, it's all good. Like, and, and just, so it's like a combination of naive and, and, and ego. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it feels like that cycle for things to go bad took 30 years. You know, like there was a lot of grow, um, economic growth for so long, but since it, crumbled it's had two or three cycles just in the last 10 years it feels like totally you know like the lessons that you learned or that that now has happened two or three times we've seen brands come through hit a peak even sell and then go away in just the last 10 years totally it's been a faster learning curve yeah yeah it's interesting um would you have managed any of it differently at this point i mean it seems like lessons have been learned and at this point i have to say no you know, like, and, and I could look back and be like, oh, that would have been cool if, but like, but then it, I would be in a different place. Like right. I wouldn't have caught that wave. <laughs> right. And so to me, like that experience of that wave is worth everything I went through. All the knocks, all the 
you know, all, all of it. So let's talk about getting to that wave then. Um, Moro also references a health problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know yoga comes into the picture at a yeah. certain point. So let's kind of start from the economic downturn and mm-hmm. reassessing what's what and values and all of that. Yeah. And where does the health scare factor in? Yeah, well, I, I in 2006, which was prior to the downturn, now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't really think put those two together, but like, thank God I found yoga in 2006. Um, I, well, I'd, I'd completely destroyed my, shattered my heel on a, like motocross riding, riding on a motorcycle in the dirt. And uh, Tim Brown, who's a really important sp- sports therapist and so much more sports therapist. That's not the right word. Um, he's a doctor. He's a doctor. God, what do I call him? He's just a mental, physical master is what he is. <laughs> like he's just a master. But he's always been the one that's helped me with all of my physical um, injuries and ailments and a lot of, obviously a lot of other people too. Um, but in 2006, he was like, you're so locked up. You have so much scarring in your ankle and everything that's kind of like into your leg. You need to try yoga. You need to really open yourself up. And I'm like, okay, sure. I'll listen to you because I know he's not just saying that just to say it. And that's when I started yoga. It was in 2006 and, um, it changed my life instantly. Not in, well, maybe because I noticed how freaking tight and like locked up I was and then, but over time, it's like completely changed my life. Okay. Yeah, it's been it's been the foundational element that's allowed me to do all the things that I want to do at the level that I want them want to do them. When you say like surf till a hundred, the foundation for me will be yoga. Mm. And that was a big thing too. Is what I realized that like by doing yoga it allowed me to surf more and mm-hmm. surf better and continue to surf at a level that I was happy with. Obviously it's not the level it used to be, but it's a level that I'm happy with and I'm feel, it feels really good in my body. So that was a, that was, and still is a major part of my life. And, and then for those that do yoga also understand that once, once you really get tapped in, it's the, the mental and the spiritual aspect that comes through by the, from the practice is, is a whole nother level of, just nourishment essentially Mm. for your, for your being. So I go for the, for both, you know, it's my spiritual practice, my mental, my connection to self, and then also my physicality. So it's sort of two, twofold, but uh, yeah, really powerful. And it, it, it provides me with a lot. (laughs) So 2006, you discover it. Yeah. And, um, mysterious yeah. illness yeah that happened so that all kind of came out in 2018 oh so a long which time is, down the road which is which is way later yeah so I mean, obviously a lot of things that happened divorce um lived on quiet for a few years came back divorce three young children i have three daughters that are now 12 14 16 who are amazing <laughs> uh makes me, it gets me emotional just thinking about them because they're so awesome i love them so much And um, it's so cool to watch them just turn into these, like, incredible women right now. And um, so, yeah, 2018, I 
I honestly was going through like a midlife moment <laughs> crisis. Um, I just got dumped in a relationship or someone broke up with me pretty much dumped. <laughs> 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 and, uh, yeah, there's just like a lot of reevaluating sort of, and, and I also had started a business, um, a yoga, a men's yoga clothing line called Cosm, which is still continues. But, um, I started that and was just like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not stoked on clothing anymore. Like, I don't want to like create another clothing company. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. How long after starting the business did you feel that way? It was about two years. Oof. Yeah. Like we worked a solid year plus developing the concept and the whole thing. And then it was like, we were probably six months, eight months into it. And we were just going to fun fundraise essentially. And I was starting to fundraise and I'm like, I hope this guy doesn't give me money. And, wow. I, and I was like, there's your indication. It's not the right thing. And so I pulled out of that. Wow. And, um, which was hard, man. It was like, I, know. I had this moment of like, wow, this is something I'm creating. And this is my thing, you know, because, you know, Volcom, I was a big part of it, but it was Richard and Tucker's vision. Yeah. It wasn't mine. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not that it needed to be, but it just had, it's a different, it's a different feeling when you're, when it's your inception and your, your, your initial vision and creation. And so I, I obviously wanted that. And, um, so anyways, um, with the health thing, it just, I started to just feel really weird and just kind of like not myself and, and, um, going through all kinds of doctors and trying to figure out what was going on. They found mold poisoning was part of it. Um, there was other things that were happening that were unexplainable. I mean, to be honest, even to this day, I don't know exactly what it was. What were the effects or symptoms? Yeah, it was, so it was like a lot of brain fog, a lot oh, of just okay. like kind of spaciness and you just don't feel like yourself. Um, there's like tingling in the legs and tinnitus, like ringing in the ears, just completely off, you know, just like, yeah. So it basically just like pounded me into my, I'll call it some sort of awakening into just reevaluating everything in my life and just stripping back all anything that was um, uh, just not serving me and and uh, assisting me in just my life and not that I was unhealthy it just there was a lot of unhealthy habits and things that I was doing and it, it's not like habits like drinking or drugs or anything like that. it wasn't even like that it was just more like thinking and like rumination and shame and guilt and just these different energies that sort of um, I was carrying into the present, I believe, that has, you know, that stuff's toxicity. It's like that stuff is releasing chemicals in you that over time, you know, long, long bouts of stress and guilt and shame and fear and all these things and worry. I mean, that stuff will take its toll. That's, that's dis-ease, essentially. Mm. So... There was a lot of that going on in my life too. So it was really time for me to kind of like really go into this like deep sense of like forgiveness for myself, like self-forgiveness, forgiveness for others that I believe wronged me in some way, which, you know, ultimately it's me. I'm the one that's carrying it. So it's like, I need to forgive myself for feeling the guilt or feeling the fear or feeling the shame. Right. So, um, just a big soul search mission and, and I, I, I was going to therapy at the time and just was not getting positive results. I was just finding myself even feeling like more not myself, mentally, physically, all the things. And 
So I, I went after some new modalities in support and I found um, a life coach and I immediately just resonated with that and just was like, wow, this is, this is what I've been missing. And it really just allowed me to really regain some of the self-acceptance and love that I never really connect with, you know? So it was just a crucial moment for me. And then in the process of having a life coach, I was like, I want to do this. Mm. Like, I want to help people on this level. And so shortly thereafter, I mean, my coach helped me sort of bring that through me and out of me to start my essential practice of being a coach. And so that's what I've been doing for the last six years. And it's just been like the most rewarding, coolest thing I've ever done in my life. And it's like my 2.0 is like here. And, and it's been so cool to watch it evolve to where it is now, where I'm just like working with these humans that I, I'm so stoked that I'm working with a lot of athletes, a lot of athletes at the top level, like in surfing and then like a different, like, like a mountain biker. There's, um, um, a snowboarder there's so there's these different levels of these different people that are all wanting to learn about themselves more like really in a more deeply way to allow them to perform at the at, at their highest level yeah. too i mean it's all very tied together so um let yeah me, let me ask you go for it uh yoga 2006 you're doing therapy and yet 10 and 12 years later, you still hit a place that is, uh, it feels like you're self-assessing all along the way, but you still hit a place that like, uh, comes out of left field. Let's say, I think most people just live through without self-assessing and they're just kind of doing their habits every day that you, you mentioned the word habits, doing things habitually. And so what was it about, life coaching that was so much different than doing the yoga, doing the therapy, all of that? Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah. Because a lot of that other stuff's like, like, like yoga is self inquiry, you know, that's your, 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 it's almost like this inside out process through the practice. And you talked about the benefits that you were getting from it. So it seems from the outside looking in, look, you're doing the work. Why wasn't the work working? And what, what about life coaching was Mm -hmm. more effective for you? Yeah. Well, I w- and also with this like health stuff, I was like, it was like a two by four hitting me in the head of like, you need to look at, you, you, you need to look at your life differently because what you're doing right now is not working, yeah. you know, like, and you might think it is, but it's not. And, and, um, so, so the, co- the, the life coaching, I, I think the biggest thing for me that drew me into it, well, number one was the coach I had, his name is Richard Morgan. He's an amazing human. And um, with therapy, you know, they can't talk about their experience. Right. It's it's illegal. Like, it's not, you, they can't do it. So with coaching, um, I mean, I can talk directly with Richard about his experience and how, you know, at t- there was a time when he freaking had a gun to his head, you know, and he was basically about to pull the trigger and somehow he didn't. And like, and, and, and when I hear those types of stories and, and I'm able to sort of like, like fall into his, his experience and, and relate it back to how, like, my experience, it just was like, whoa, this really, 
makes a big difference to where I can, I don't feel alone. Like I feel supported. Um, and, and then, you know, the other thing is also, um, with coaching, it's a lot about, it's not so much about the past. It's like, Mm. sure. We acknowledge the past. We're like traditional psychotherapy is like, we're just pulling the past into the present. So you're just anchoring yourself more into the present or you're anchoring the past more into the present constantly. So with coaching, it's more about like, okay, we can acknowledge the past. Okay. Let's look at how it served you and how it did doesn't, but let's work here where we are. Like this is where we are. Let's work here in the present. And then how is the present moment going to affect the future essentially? And um, so that for me was like such a big thing. Um, not dwelling on all the things that I thought were broken me, you know, because no one needs fixings. No one's broken. It's truly like you might think you are, but you're not yeah. you're perfectly imperfect. We all are. We're all messed up in some way, but that's what, that's what, that's the beauty also. Um, so I don't know where I, I just kind of went off on a tangent. Well, I, I was just I asking that. about how that, what he was implementing as a life coach yeah. that was more effective for yeah. you for where you were at. Totally. Yeah. And I think it, what I just explained is kind of, kind of it. It was just the fact that I could see him, he could see me, we could connect as humans. I can learn from his experience and see how it affects me. And then also helps me sort of, he helped, it helps. I think coaching helps pull out what is already in you yeah. that you don't know is there. Mm. And I think that's a big thing. <sighs> Talking about um, acknowledging Cosm wasn't for you after you had invested so much into it. Also talking about how talk therapy wasn't for you after you had invested so much into it. I think that's also something that we don't realize until we're older that saying no is okay and powerful. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's a sign of maturity because I think so many people would just continue doing it, especially if you, with the clothing company, it's like you have these obligations probably to partners and everybody else. You want to honor those things. But if it's ultimately um, not what you're into anymore, yeah. and it's not serving you, totally. there's no point in doing it. Totally. It's going to be detrimental to your overall health. 100%. So that's an interesting point of growing up. Yeah, man. And it takes a lot of letting go. And, and it's like, personal growth, work, spiritual growth, whatever you want to call it. Like it's not easy. Yeah. And it's not, it's, I mean, some people will no, never do it. Some people will be unconscious in their habitual patterns till the day they die. And that's, I mean, that's their, that's their path. Yeah. But for others, you know, we, we realize that what, what, what got us to here won't get us to there in a level of fulfillment. You know, and so for me these days, it's just like I work with my clients on, are you, you know, is it about the championship? Is it about the contest or is it about you being fulfilled in this moment? You tell me, you know, and, and so I help them sort of understand that like it's the process, it's the path, it's the journey, it's the voyage, it's all, it's all that. And that's the only opportunity that you have is the now to be in this place of fulfillment and happiness. And, and so, okay, so what will happen after you win that contest and, or, or you'll be happy then. And like, right. It's like people wait till to take trips or do things until they retire. Like they talk about their retirement. Like it's this like, Oh, well I'll be stoked when I'm retired. It's like, okay, well you'll be 65. Number one, you won't be able to do 
half the stuff that you wanted to do in this present moment when, say, you're 50, take a look. Look in the mirror. You know, it's like, it's, it's, I think it's so, such, such, we have it backwards. Completely. <laughs> you know, and, and that's okay. And, 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 and so it takes, it takes some discernment and some, some real vulnerability to look at yourself in a, in a way. And a, well, ask yourself, is like, am I actually happy doing what I'm doing? Is this really, is my life fulfilling right now? And whether it's a job or a relationship or anything. And, and, and it's like with a lot of the work, that I do with my clients, it's like, that's where we start. We start at the very beginning and it's like, we, we assess where you are right now. Good. And then a lot of the times, well, not a lot of times, but some of the times that relationship dissolves, that job dissolves. You know, I create this that I've been wanting to create. It's just like getting, getting in line with like what's really going on for you from like a passion and like a truth standpoint. And, you know, we get, locked into jobs and think that's the security but that's the insecurity you're 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 unhappy in your job it's like how is that security <laughs> like you know so they think it's financial security yeah they think it's financial security yet it's you're often unhappy yeah. and, and is the security the finance or or what so and if you do yeah you, you, people think that is uh you know this the biggest pay, like it's more money than I ever earned, so I'm attached to this and I've built this life around it. But if you're not doing what you love, I find often people leave a job, they find a better job doing what they love and making more money too. 100%. So you don't know what's out there until you kind of assess all of that. And I think assessment is the key to so many people just don't self-assess. Totally. So being cognizant of it. And, um, how much is diet and exercise? I mean, exercise obviously with yoga, but how much is diet factored into your life change and you know, now it's like I, I was, I did vegan, I've done paleo, I've done sort of all the fad diets. It's like now I just, I really go with my intuition. Oh, okay. The one thing I do, the one thing that I do not do is dairy. I don't really, I don't do dairy. I okay. just feel it's uh, an inflammatory for me. Okay. For a lot of people. Um but other than that, I'm just, I'm become very sort of intuitive of like check in and see what I feel my body needs. So it changes, your diet yeah, changes. Yeah, it changes. But I, I mean, I have my go-tos. I have like, you know, salmon. I love my salmon and, um, you know, greens and veggies and fruits and things like that. Like every day is a smoothie for sure. And all my fun supplements and additives I put in there. But uh, overall, it becomes a very intuitive experience for me with food now. And yeah. So you're ensuring that you get all the nutrients and good stuff, but in terms of avoidance, dairy, are you okay with alcohol? Are you okay with sugar? Yeah, I'm pretty, uh, I'm not so much on sugar too much. And so again, that's an intuitive feel though. It's just like, I know how my body feels when I eat too much sugar. Yeah. So, um, not so much, not too much sugar. I mean, I'll eat desserts here and there. Alcohol, like all just again, intuitive, like after that day of the wave, like I had a couple beers and a couple margaritas, <laughs> like when there's a time and place, like I'll, I'll have a few and I don't, I don't put too much pressure on it, you know? And I think that's a big thing with this food alcohol sort of situation with, you know, it's like, I think it's important to accept and allow what you're putting in your body too. Just even if you were to eat McDonald's every day, if you're praying in praying prior or, you know, um, blessing your food prior to putting it in your body, it might nourish you just as much as, um, you know, something that you think is healthy that you're guilty of putting in your body. 
Interesting. Right? Like, so that, so there's, so, so I think it's really important to accept and allow whatever you're, you're putting in your body for sure. Mm. Because your, yeah, your body's listening. If you have guilt by putting the chocolate or drinking the beers, it's like, it's probably not going to be good for you. That's really interesting. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I'd never thought of it in those terms before, but it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I see um, people are so strict about a diet. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not allowed to eat a donut. They're the ones who want that donut more than anybody else. If I'm allowed to have a donut, Mm -hmm. I'll go two years without eating one Mm -hmm. because I know it's available to me. Totally. I have no, I drive past a donut shop, don't feel any anyway. The person who can't have it feels tons of energy towards that thing. Totally. So that's interesting. Have the donut. Give yourself permission. Yeah. Then maybe you won't binge it and then it'll be okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, Just kind of a couple of questions in in, uh, closing. Sure. I'm curious, what surf media do you follow at this point? Surf media. Oh, my God. I'm such a goon geek, surf geek still, and I freaking love it. I, I love it all, like, truly. I mean, um, you know, of course, Surfline for forecasting and just kind of, like, I mean, I have my, I have a few forecasting tools, I probably have three or four, that I sort of cross-reference when it comes to, like, prominent swells, just to sort of get all those different measurements. But, I mean, uh, Surfline for cams, I mean, it's, like, it's so amazing to have these cameras totally. to just be able to just look and know and so, uh, and content too, you know, uh, stab, like I, I think stabs rad just cause they're putting out original content. That's super interesting. I love, I like watching this, some of the series they put out. So stab for sure. Um, I mean, I love the contests. I love the WSLs, you know, I'm, I'm a total fan, such super, super, super fan when it comes to those contests. Like I love watching them. I love watching them. I love, I love watching just how the tours of um, sort of evolving and in, in, in with the new talent and how, yeah, I feel like there's a shift happening right now, which is really cool with the new kids coming up. And so, they, so but it's going to be interesting to see like guys like Gabby and John John get back in and see how they fare against like kind of the up and comers. I mean, I'm sure they'll do just fine, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting. It's, it's, it feels different, you know, than a few years ago, I, I feel for me. So, but, um, I mean, yeah, Surfer's Journal is amazing. Love Surfer's Journal. Uh, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, there's not that many, is there? No. I mean, there <laughs> it's kind of all filtered through Instagram at this point. Yeah. So there's accounts that I follow, yeah. you know? Well, but in terms of, like, going to actual websites, yeah. there's very few. Well, YouTube, like, I, I like I like love watching, like, um, Nathan Florence's YouTube. I love watching Cosmos. Um, like, I love, like, Torn Martin. I love his surfing. I love watching the Need Essential clips that they put out or his, his stuff he puts out oh god there was a what was that movie that need just put out with um lori towner yeah amazing slow lane loved it how, Loved how that. insane is lori towner he's insane like his whole gig and with his family and just like wow what a fucking legend that did, guy is did I, you I, see? I don't know him but he's just amazing did you see yesterday or the day before he posted an old clip from chopu no, but I'll he's, send it to you. He's a nut. Uh, obviously, he's a madman, right? Yeah. In, tr- in terms of charging, yeah. big barrels specifically. Yeah. But he posted this clip. It's got to be ten years old. The most insane wave ever out there. You're, I just wa- I watched it over and over. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, his style is like, I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a nut, and his style is just so beautiful to watch. And 
Yeah, I mean, Torn Martin, again, also, too. Like, another just beautiful to watch. I'm a, I'm all about easy on the eyes these days, man. Yeah. Like, you know, and totally. It's like, it just feels feels good to, like, Asher Pacey, another perfect example of someone who's just, like, so easy on the eyes. Just, yeah. like, it's just, like, it's, like, grace and dance. It's, like, dancing, and you know, and everybody has their own style, and everybody dances differently <laughs> on the waves, and uh, I'm, I'm so... Yeah, it's it's cool. And I like ripping too. I love watching the kids do the airs and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, it's just really cool to see. It's it's a cool to see the new breed of kids that are coming up too that have kind of both. Mm. You know, I really love that. I think that that's I don't feel that that trend's going to go away. And especially like with album, you know, what the crafts these guys are making, it's just like yeah, they're on the forefront, I believe, of that type of surfing and I mean, look at Josh Kerr too. It's like he's ripping those boards. Or Victor Bernardo yeah, is who Victor. comes to mind where you're Perfect. talking about ripping, mm-hmm. but having the kind of Torin Martin-esque style, you know? Totally. And uh, writing untraditional crafts and like, of course, Ryan Birch. And yeah, I mean, you can you can get funky with these boards and still shred. And, and I feel like these boards fine-tune your surfing. Totally. You know, like completely. Yeah, I, I really believe that. In the way that a single fin would force you to kind of fine trim and set the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. These boards kind of do that, but allow you to flare the fins out if you get the section, you know? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Do you ever consider getting back into filmmaking? There's been moments for sure that have come up in the last little bit here that it's not necessarily go into filmmaking. It's, it would be more of, is there a film to make like a project to put out a message to share type of thing. And so I feel with where I'm at and I've been reconnected with a few people, one guy in particular from my past Holcomb days, who's a filmmaker who we've been, he's also on this kind of like personal growth path and has been for a long time and we, yeah, we, we play with ideas about about doing something that's in alignment with kind of the work we're doing now on ourselves. So yeah, it, it's been stirring. So we'll see. Okay. Yeah. I'd be curious. Yeah. Those films, those Vulcan films were so, I mean, they were seminal films, but they were culture shifting films too. Like just really, really impactful. So I'd be curious to see what creatively that looked like for you now Mm. with all the different inputs that you have now. Yeah. Yeah. It would be very different, but, but, but also with that essence of, you know, just doing, putting it out in a different way where it's, yeah, maybe even, I don't know. I I don't even know what it is. It's just something that's like a bit of the flavor of this like action sports world and what we, what we do, which is so different than mainstream world. Like, they don't understand surfing and how that connection is for us and how it really is important and fuels us. And it's like, it's so funny because I was, I've been thinking about the Billabong original tagline, only a surfer knows the feeling. And I'm just like, they need to bring that back. Mm. Evan, if you're listening, mm-hmm. bring that shit back. I agree. Cause it's truth, man. Well, I hear people saying it who don't even know where that, tagline started totally they're just saying it like it's just a mantra yeah you know but it's so there's so much depth in that like as a surfer there's so much depth in that statement totally 
I mean, and I experienced it with that wave to a whole nother level of like, wow, this is possible. <laughs> totally. You know, to connect into and, and just, it's just really beautiful what, what the ocean provides for us. That's for sure. Um, so I, early on, I asked you if when you turned 50, you ever thought that your best surfing was still ahead of you. Do you think it is at this point? Or is that gonna, is that going to be the best way that you had, you're ever going to get? <laughs> well, after that wave, I was like, I'm good. It was like kind of mic drop moment for me, honestly. But like, also, it was fun to. I mean, I just was at, I was on a bomb Malibu last week, just surfing again and trying, you know, trying to get some waves, which we did. It was so fun. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what that means, honestly. It's like, is my surfing my best surfing ahead of me? Maybe it's more of like, is my funnest, most fulfilling surfing ahead of me? That would be something I could probably like tap into more. And so if I ask that question, yeah, is it? I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of the fact that I can still do it. I think it's the biggest thing of like, wow, I know that I can, I have the ability to, to put myself in those situations where it's a little bit uncomfortable, but also... Um, exciting and, and I know my body will respond to it and can really can actually like step up to that challenge and it's not like I'm going to go surf for, you know, Totos or Mavs or anything like that no like but it is like the wave that I caught and then just even like a Baja Malibu type of situation or any like Cloudbreak or Fiji or things like, like I am like let's go like, like I'm so down yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah it feels like you're more primed to appreciate all that stuff now and than that's ever before. that's the biggest thing is the appreciation I think is just that gratitude of uh, the fact that I still can do it and when I get to do it I'm gonna be grateful yeah well you uh, communicating all of this and sharing all of this is a great reminder us for myself and for us as we age to kind of invest in ourselves and to uh, live in a position of grat that perspective of gratitude along the way so thank you for sharing it heck yeah thank you for having me super stoked I'm a fan thank you <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Contact Troy about his life coaching work or anything else, by the way, at RadicalVoyage.com. I've posted links to that as well as video and still photos of the wave that we were discussing throughout today's episode on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. Link to his social media there as well so you can give him a follow and uh, track what he's up to next. So thank you, Troy. I also found, uh, we spoke a little bit about Sean Barney Barron I found uh, the video, the tribute video that Volcom made for Barney when he passed away. It's about a 30 minute long video compilation of uh, a lot of their past videos and a lot of footage that had never been seen before. So I've embedded that. I've embedded Magnaplasm and the Bruce movie 
and a couple of other things that Troy had his hands in along the way. So come check it all out at surfsplendorpodcast.com. There is also a comment section at the bottom of the page where you can leave a comment for Troy. I will ensure that he sees that. And uh, thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you to linkedin.com slash surf. Consider them if you need to post a job for anything or find a job, by the way. Do it through LinkedIn. Of course, athleticgreens.com slash surf is always with us. Waterwaystravel.com or realwatersports.com. Wonderful partners, wonderful resources for myself and for you. So enjoy those. Thank you. And uh, this week, we have a new episode of Spit with Scott Bass and an episode of The Grit with Chaz Smith covering the Pipe Pro, the highs and the lows, the WSL controversy surrounding their newly released trans policy, uh, and Bethany Hamilton's take on that and everything. So hot surf news this week. Go get it on those news-related shows. And then we'll be back here next week with an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. Until then, this is, of course, David Scales signing off and reminding you to get back into the ocean, share a couple of waves, and as always, shred on. Thanks. Doesn't bring your nieces and your cousins Come put out the fire